If you brought a Bible, go with me, please, to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 22 and verse 14. Si trajo su Biblia esta noche, vamos a ir al Evangelio según San Lucas, capítulo 22, el verso 14. We gather tonight on this night which commemorates an event that took place thousands of years ago but which is still having daily and hourly and minute-by-minute effect in the lives of all of those who have believed. The Bible says that the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. They can't see it. They can't understand it. They don't get it. How could God's Son die And we call that a victory. And yet the Bible said it is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Dice la palabra del Señor que para que la, el mensaje de la cruz es locura para el que se pierde. No lo entiende, no lo puede cautar en su intelecto humano. Como el Hijo de Dios pudo morir y ganar. Para el que se pierde es locura, pero para el que es salvo, el que cree, es el poder de Dios. How many of you have experienced that power in your life? Shout amen. Luke chapter 22, verse 14. When the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some of the bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup, which is poured out for you, is a new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of the one who betrays me is with me on this table. For indeed, the Son of Man is going as it has been determined. But woe to him. Woe to that man to whom or by whom he is betrayed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight as we come into your house for the great and glorious sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray tonight that you would anoint my lips of clay to preach the word of the living God, and I pray that you would anoint the hearing of this congregation that they might receive the word as seed sown in the fertile soil of their hearts. We ask that in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Puede tomar su lugar. I want to speak tonight on this phrase which we hear at least once a month here at Kingsway Church. In the participation of the communion, this is my body. Quiero hablar esta noche unos minutos sobre esta frase, la cual oímos por lo menos una vez al mes aquí en la iglesia Kingsway. Esta frase es, este es mi cuerpo. 
When we receive the communion, we receive the bread and the fruit of the vine, which is the symbol or symbolic representation of the body and blood of Jesus. Cuando recibimos la comunión, la cena del Señor, recibimos simbólicamente el cuerpo y la sangre de nuestro Señor Jesucristo. Y esta frase, aunque la oímos mucho, quizá no muchas veces la profundizamos. Maybe although we hear this phrase many times, this is my body, we don't really think about it too much. And so tonight I want to go deep into what the meaning of these words are. Quiero que hagamos un estudio más profundo esta noche. So that as a church we can have a full and comprehensive view of what it is that we are doing when we receive the table of the Lord. Para poder tener un entendimiento más amplio como iglesia de lo que estamos haciendo cuando recibimos la cena del Señor. For me as a pastor, one of the greatest privileges of being a pastor is to bring the table of the Lord to you. Es para mí un privilegio como pastor. Poder a servir la mesa del Señor. And it is even a greater privilege at times when I have been able to serve the Lord's table at a sick bed or to someone who is bedridden. And we realize that this act of communion unites us all as the body of Christ. All over the world and over the last 2,000 years, the church has existed through different cultures. It has different languages and different songs with which it worships. But we all have the same Bible and we all receive the same table. Say amen, somebody. And it is this table that unites us. Es la mesa del Señor la cual nos une. So we read tonight that Jesus, the night before he was betrayed, just a few hours before he would be arrested and go through trial all night long and then eventually crucified by 9 a.m. the next morning. He sat with his disciples at the table and they celebrated the Passover meal. And he says to them, I wanted to take this Passover with you before I suffer. He knew precisely where he was going. He knew what would become of him. He knew that in a few hours his body would be left in shreds. As he would be subjected to cruel and oppressive crucifixion. El Señor le dice a sus discípulos la noche antes de su crucificación, yo he deseado tener esta cena con ustedes de la Pascua antes de sufrir. Él entendía claramente lo que sería su sufrimiento. Y en esto Él nos dice, este es mi cuerpo. So he takes some bread, and if you understand the Passover meal, you understand that the Passover meal, they used unleavened bread, that meant bread without yeast. And it was uh, flat bread, as it were. This bread was typical of the sinless nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. El pan que los judíos usaban para la Pascua era un pan sin levadura, un pan el cual era más como una tortilla que una barra de pan. Y este pan era el símbolo, la representación de la vida pura y perfecta de nuestro Señor Jesucristo. Y él dice, este pan es mi cuerpo. He says, this is my body. So tonight I want to give you seven facts about the body of Christ. Les voy a dar siete uh, verdades del cuerpo de nuestro Señor Jesucristo. And I don't want you to panic. We won't be here till resurrection morning. I promise you. 
no vamos a estar aquí hasta el día de resurrección. No se preocupe. I know some of you heard seven and your, your heart skipped a beat. But I'm going to move quickly. But I want you to realize how deep these words are. The word Jesus uses here and he says, this is my body in the Greek is the word soma. He's saying, this is my all. This is my sum. This is the totality of me. En el griego, cuando Jesús dice, este es mi cuerpo, él está diciendo en el griego, este es mi suma. La palabra griega, suma, indica mi totalidad. He's saying to you and I tonight, when you receive me, or when you receive my body, you receive all of me. You receive all of the entirety of who Christ is. Cuando recibimos a Cristo, recibimos a también simbólicamente el pan. Estamos recibiendo la totalidad de quien es Cristo. Uh, ultimately, what we understand by this is that Jesus is saying to his disciples, I am giving you all of myself. The totality of me will be on that cross tomorrow morning. La totalidad de Cristo, el hombre completo, estaría sobre la cruz. La próxima mañana, sometimes we use little phrases that we don't intend to be sacrilegious or irreverent, but ultimately they are. If we study them, we say things like this, don't make me get off of my cross. A veces decimos uh, uh, en forma de humor, pero es algo quizá irreverente. No me hagas bajarme de mi cruz. What we mean by that is there's still a part of me that's not completely surrendered fully to the will of God. Eso quiere decir, hay todavía áreas en mi vida que todavía no están completamente rendidas a la voluntad de Dios. And if you push the right buttons, you're going to see that part of me that's not dead yet. Jesus didn't have any of that. Jesús nos dice, esto no es así para mí, esto les voy a dar la totalidad de lo que yo soy. His entire person, and, and we're not just talking about a man, but we're talking about God in man. He, said, he is fully God, fully man, the entirety of who he is, his, his entire person is going to be offered up for man. And so we see, number one, that the body of Jesus was genuine humanity. Everyone say genuine humanity. El cuerpo de Cristo era humanidad genuina. That means that Jesus was not more God than man. And he was not more man than God. He was 100% man and 100% God. Jesús era 100% hombre y 100% Dios. He had a natural birth, a nine-month Pregnancy led to the birth of Jesus. El tuvo un nacimiento natural, uh, una, un embarazo de nueve meses. Uh, uh, fue el embarazo el cual produjo a Cristo. He had to learn how to walk and talk and be potty trained, just like every other boy and girl. El tuvo que aprender a caminar, a hablar, a comer, así como los niños demás. He would get hungry. He would get tired. He would get sleepy. Él le daba hambre, se cansaba, le daba sueño. If you cut him, he bled. If you hit him, he bruised. He was a man in every single way. Él fue hombre en totalidad. He was not less than a man so that you and I would not be able to say, well, Jesus did that, but he really wasn't like me. He had to be genuine humanity because he came to represent us. Él era humanidad genuina, 
hombre completo, 100% hombre. Si usted le pegaba, él, él, él tenía heridas. Si usted le cortaba, sangraba. Él tuvo que ir por todo el proceso de la humanidad porque él era nuestro representante. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 says this. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness. Dice, no tenemos un sumo sacerdote el cual no se puede compadecer de nuestra debilidad. But he was in, uh, in like manner, uh, he was like us in every way, tempted in every manner and yet without sin. Dice, él fue tentado como nosotros en todas las áreas y formas, pero sin pecado. Jesus experienced the same temptations that you and I experience as men and women. He went through the same process of, of life. Él pasó por el mismo proceso de vida para que usted y yo tuviéramos un representante. He knew what it was like to lose a, a father at a young age. He knew what it was like to be rejected by his friends. He knew what it was like to experience the difficulties of paying taxes or working to make a living. El supo lo que era trabajar para hacer dinero o tener que cumplir los requisitos de la ley. Él era un hombre total y como usted y yo. Para que usted y yo hoy tuviéramos en el cielo un hombre que nos representa. What is the result of this, friends? The result of the genuine body of Jesus is that today there is a man sitting at the right hand of God. And he is our eternal representative before God. Say amen, somebody. He is our eternal advocate before the Father. Esto significa que hoy, por la humanidad de Cristo, hay un hombre humano, un ser como nosotros, sentado a la diestra del Dios Padre, el cual es nuestro abogado y nuestro defensor en la presencia de Dios. Diga amén si lo cree. The second thing I want you to know is this, the body of Jesus was offered up. Número dos, la, el cuerpo de Cristo fue ofrecido. Everybody say offered up. Diga ofrecido. This means that the body of Jesus was given. When he says these words, he says, this is my body which is broken. Some translations say broken. Some translations say given. Really the word is given or offered up. Ahí él está diciendo, este es mi cuerpo, el cual es ofrecido por ustedes. It is offered up for you. What does this mean, preacher? It means that nobody took Jesus' life from him. Esto significa que nadie le quitó su vida a Cristo. He offered it up. He freely gave it. Él la dio gratuitamente. Nadie se la quitó. He said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. Él dijo, nadie me quita mi vida, sino yo soy el que la entrego. Now we consider the reality of these words when we study the Bible and we realize that at the Passover meal, Jesus is sitting there with his disciples. Judas is sitting there with him. And Judas is planning to betray him. Ahí en la cena del Señor, vemos sentado junto con el Señor a Judas. Judas tiene en medio en mente uh, a traicionar a Jesús y venderlo. He has in mind to betray him. But you realize this that Judas cannot betray Jesus until Jesus gives him the green light. 
Judas no puede entregar a Cristo hasta que Cristo le dea la luz verde. You realize that Judas was still under the authority of Jesus. Judas estaba bajo la autoridad de Cristo. And so we read on the night of the Passover that Jesus looks at Judas and he says, what you're going to do, go and do quickly. He was sending Judas off to do the very thing that he had decided to do already. Why? Because he is the one who is going to be offering up his life. Judas will not be taking his life. We later see him in the Garden of Gethsemane. He is going to be arrested. The Bible says that Judas had procured soldiers and lanterns and weapons. He had a little mini army to go and arrest Jesus. Luego vemos a Jesús en el huerto o en el jardín del Gethsemane. Viene Judas con un pequeño ejército para arrestarlo. Y cuando se llegan a Jesús, les pregunta quién buscan. Jesus asked them, who are you looking for? And he said, they said to him, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. Now watch this. Él les dice, estamos, ellos les dicen, estamos buscando a Jesús de Nazaret. And when they say, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus says, I am he. That's all he said. He said, I am he. When he said that, the Bible said the soldiers drew back and fell on the ground. Cuando él les responde y dice, yo soy, ellos cayeron al suelo. Now just think about that. An army with weapons and torches comes to arrest Jesus, and yet they're on the ground with three simple words, I am he. Come on, somebody. You realize that the one in control is Jesus. Say amen, somebody. El que está en control es Cristo. Los soldados cayeron al suelo a la pequeña mención de su nombre, yo soy. When he said, I am he, he was invoking the name of God which was revealed in the book of Exodus. He was invoking the name of God which is revealed throughout the Old Testament. He was saying, I am Yahweh. I am the God who is, the God who was, and the God who is to come. Come on, somebody, get excited about Jesus tonight because he is in control. And then we read that he's brought before Pontius Pilate. Luego leemos que lo traen delante de Poncio Pilato. Y cuando lo traen delante de Pilato, Pilate tells him these words. He says, don't you know who you're talking to? You kind of see Pilate looking down like Jesus. Don't you know who you're talking to? Pilato le dice, no sabes con quien habla? And Jesus said to him, he, well, Pilate said, you are in my hands. If, if I want to kill you, I can kill you. And if I want to release you, I can release you. Pilato le dijo, yo tengo el poder para, re, uh, para crucificarte o tengo el poder para soltarte. Listen, he said, I have the power to crucify you and I have the power to release you. Jesus said, without, without blinking an eye, he said, you do not have any authority over me except that which has been given to you from above. Le dijo, no tienes autoridad sobre de mí excepto aquello que se te ha dado desde arriba. What am I telling you tonight? I'm telling you that there is a name which has authority against all powers and principalities of darkness. Hay un nombre el cual tiene autoridad sobre cada poder de las tinieblas. 
No wonder demons tremble at the name of Jesus. No wonder that sinners are converted at the name of Jesus. No wonder that the sick are healed at the name of Jesus. Because Jesus is the one in control. Somebody say amen. Cristo es el que está en control. Now this is the big, this is the big one. He's hanging on the cross. And while he is hanging on the cross, the Bible says that Jesus said these words. He said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Le dijo el Señor colgando de la cruz, dijo, Padre, en tus manos encomiendo mi espíritu. Now I want you to notice this. The greatest enemy of the church and the greatest enemy of mankind is death. El enemigo más grande del mundo es la muerte. Nobody has a remedy for death. Nadie tiene un remedio para la muerte. Y nadie sabe o determina el día de su muerte. No one can determine the day of their death. But you know that when Jesus was on the cross, death was standing there as his servant and death could not touch him until Jesus gave it authority to touch him. La muerte no lo pudo tocar hasta que él le dio la autoridad. So you see Jesus there and he says, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And then he cries out, it is finished. And the Bible says, and then he gave up the ghost. Nobody took his life from him. He willingly offered it up because he alone is in sovereign authority and control. When he said, it is finished, when he gave up his ghost, then death came and carried out its responsibilities, but not a moment sooner. Hasta que él dijo, consumado es. Y él dio su alma hacia la muerte. La muerte no lo pudo tocar. What am I telling you tonight? I'm telling you that you have authority in the name of Jesus. Because you and I are sons and daughters of the living God. Bought by the blood of Jesus. And you and I have the authority of Jesus' name. Somebody shout his name tonight. Number three, the body of Jesus was broken. For you. Número tres, el cuerpo de Cristo fue quebrado para ti. His skin was torn by a crown of thorns on the cross. Su piel fue rompida por una corona de espinas en la cruz. His hands and his feet were pierced by nails. Sus manos y sus pies fueron, uh, fueron abujeradas por clavos. His flesh was torn from his back by a Roman whip and scourge. La piel fue rompida de su espalda por un latigazo de los romanos. His, pierce, his side was pierced. And the Bible said that blood and water flowed. Su lado fue herido y fluyó sangre y agua. All of these things, he says, were for you. Todo esto es para ti. You realize this, that the Bible tells us that when Jesus was on the cross, he died. And according to the Jewish ritual and law, any criminal that died had to be buried before the end of the day. And since the Sabbath and the Passover was coming, the Jewish leaders wanted the criminals off the cross as quickly as possible. El día de la crucificación, los uh, judíos querían bajar los los sacrificados lo más pronto posible de la cruz. Porque ya venía el día sábado y el día de la, de la Pascua. And then 
as, uh, as it was the custom. They needed not only to be off the cross, but they needed to be buried. And so, according to historians, if you were crucified by a Roman crucifixion, you could be on a cross still living for two to three days. It was a long and excruciating death. La muerte de cruz podía durar dos o tres días de agonía. And so when they wanted to speed up the process, para avanzar el proceso, ellos iban y quebraban los, las piernas de los crucificados. They would break the legs of the crucified. That way uh, they would die more quickly. The reason was that they were no longer able to breathe because of such a torturous uh, uh, treatment they had received. And with broken legs, they could no longer push up to allow a breath into their lungs. And so they would either die of shock, of blood loss, or of asphyxiation. They broke the legs of the other two criminals beside Jesus. But when they came to Jesus, he was already dead. Quebraron las piernas de los otros dos prisioneros crucificados para que murieran rápidamente. De esa forma, podían sepultarlos conforme la ley. Pero cuando llegaron con Jesús, él ya estaba muerto. The Bible said that in order to guarantee that he was in fact dead, a Roman soldier took a spear, a lance, and brought it into his side. Un soldado romano tomó una lanza y la arrojó en su costado. When he did that, blood and water flowed. Cuando esto ocurrió, salió de él sangre y agua. The doctors and scientists tell us today that this was most likely the result of the, of the sac that is the lining around the heart that uh, has a fluid in it and the heart having burst and that blood and water flowing from the body of Jesus. We see there that most likely Jesus died of a burst heart. You realize that when, uh, when you read the, the psalm, Psalm 69 says that reproach has broken my heart. We don't know for sure the cause of Jesus' death. But we can imagine that his heart was broken as he endured the suffering and the reproach of our sin upon the cross. Why did all this happen? Why did he die and why didn't they break his legs? Because in the book of Exodus chapter 12 and verse 46, the scripture said that a lamb that was offered for the Passover could have no broken bones. And the body of Jesus would not have a single broken bone. Because he would be and must be the fulfillment of the word of God. He would be to the letter, to the finest degree, the fulfillment of God's Passover and redemption for man. And so tonight we read in Isaiah 53 that it says he was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquity. The chastening of the punishment of my peace fell upon his shoulders and by his stripes I am healed. Why was his flesh broken? His flesh was broken for me. Leemos ahí que cuando eh, de su sangre, de su lado fluye sangre y agua. Uh, los, los eruditas nos dicen quizá que su corazón había sido uh, quebrantado. Y desde ese lugar fluye esta agua y esta sangre. Él fue herido por nuestra rebelión. Él fue castigado por nuestra iniquidad. Y el castigo de nuestra paz. Cayó sobre de él, su sangre o su cuerpo fue quebrantado por usted y yo. Number four, the body of Jesus died. Número cuatro, la, el cuerpo de Cristo murió. Now you might say, Pastor, 
That seems like the most obvious statement anyone could make on a Good Friday. Usted quizá diga, Pastor, eso es muy obvio para una congregación tan profunda como esta. Decir que Cristo murió, eso ya lo sabemos. Uh, you might say, Pastor, we're a, we're a very deep congregation. Why would you tell us something we already know? Well, do you know there are still some people that claim that Jesus did not die on the cross, but actually just swooned. That's an old word that says he passed out. He was in so much pain that he passed out, and they thought he was dead. And then when he was in the tomb, he just woke up again. And uh, algunos dicen que Cristo no murió en la cruz, sino que simplemente se durmió o entró en un estado de una coma y cuando estaba en la tumba despertó y regresó a su vida. You realize, friends, that this is not only ludicrous, but this is absolutely unacceptable from the Bible position. For you see, Jesus had already said that unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it falls into the ground and dies, it will bring forth much fruit. Jesús había dicho, si el trigo cae a la tierra y no muere, no, ahí se quedará muerta. Pero para producir fruto, tiene que morir. Entonces Jesús murió. Why did he have to die? Why was his death so essential? First of all, his death was essential because by his death, you and I have died to sin. Su, su muerte fue necesaria. Porque a través de su muerte, usted y yo hemos muerto al pecado. The Bible says this in the book of Romans chapter 6 and verse 6. That he was crucified or that or the old man is crucified with Christ. Dice Romanos 6, 6. Que hemos sido crucificados con Cristo. What does that mean? That means that when Jesus died, you died with him. When Jesus died, you died to sin. Cuando Jesús murió. Usted y yo morimos con él y morimos al pecado. What does that mean? That means that the old man is dead. Say amen, somebody. Eso significa que el hombre viejo está muerto. Your old man is not swooning. Your old man is not uh, passed out. And if he is, he's not an old man. Because the man that is left when you come to Jesus is a dead man. Say amen, somebody. And you have been given new life in Christ because of the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. But then we have a further reason that Jesus had to die. And that is that in Christ, you and I would die to the law. En Cristo, no solamente morimos al pecado, pero también morimos a la ley. Romans chapter 7 and verse 4 says this. Romanos 7, 4 nos dice esto. Que hemos muerto a la ley por el cuerpo de nuestro Señor Jesucristo. The Bible says there that we have died to the law by the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. What Romans teaches us is this. That the death of Jesus was like the death of a man who is married to a woman. The woman who is now a widow, when her husband dies, she is no longer uh, uh, tied to that man. She is no longer bound to that man. While that man was alive, she did what he wanted him to do, what he wanted her to do. While that man was alive, she obeyed his instructions. But now that man is dead. And since the man is dead, she is now free from that man, and she is now free to remarry. What is this telling us? It's telling us that you and I were married to the law. 
And the law told us what to do and how to do it. The law made it impossible for you and I to be able to fully reach the standard of God. But it revealed to us what God's standard was. And yet when, in, when Christ died, you and I died with him. And you and I died to the law. And so the law no longer has power over you. And the law no longer has power over me. Because we are dead to the law. Guess what? We've remarried. And now we are the bride of Christ. And we live by grace and freedom in the Lord Jesus Christ. Say amen, somebody. If you believe God's word. Así como la mujer que es viuda. Ya no tiene atadura o no tiene necesidad de obedecer su esposo muerto. Así también hemos muerto usted y yo a la ley por la muerte de nuestro Señor Jesucristo. Y ya la ley no tiene autoridad ni poder sobre nosotros. Ahora tenemos un esposo nuevo. Somos ahora la novia de Cristo y tenemos vida en él. Number five, the body of Jesus was buried like the body of a criminal and a king. Número cinco, la vida en la cuerpo de nuestro Señor Jesucristo fue sepultado como un criminal y como un rey. You read the book of Deuteronomy chapter 21 and verse 22. Si leemos Deuteronomio 21, verso 22 al 23, this is what it says. It says if a man has committed a sin that is worthy of death, he is to be put to death and to be hung on a tree. And if, if, he, if he is hung on a tree, his corpse shall not hang all day on the tree. But it shall be buried that same day, so that his corpse will not defile the land which God has given to us. Dice Deuteronomio, que aquel hombre que ha, uh, que ha cometido un, un crimen digno de muerte, será puesto a muerte... Y colgado sobre un, ar, un árbol. Y si es colgado sobre un árbol, entonces él será quitado y sepultado antes del fin del día para no profanar la tierra que Jehová les había dado. And so we realize what is happening in the Gospels. When Joseph of Arimathea comes to take the body of Jesus. Ahí entendemos lo que ocurre cuando José de Arimatea viene a recoger el cuerpo de nuestro Señor Jesucristo. He has to bury him before the end of the day. Lo tiene que sepultar antes del fin del día. Why? Number one, Jesus had to be buried according to the criminal code of Israel. Jesús tenía que ser sepultado conforme al código criminal de Israel. It is an astounding fact to think that the righteous son of God would be buried according to the criminal code. But you see, friend, that was our burial. That was the code that applied to us. But Jesus went and fulfilled our code. He went and fulfilled the law that applied to us. Jesús cumplió con el código criminal. ¿Por qué? Porque ese código era nuestro. Nos tocaba a nosotros, pero él fue y lo cumplió. He had to be buried by sons before the end of the day because he had hung upon a tree. Tenía que ser quitado de la cruz y sepultado porque había colgado en un madero. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. That he was made, that he made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 
Dice Corintios que el que no conoció pecado fue hecho pecado para nosotros, para que usted y yo fuéramos hecho la justicia de Dios en él. And so we see Joseph of Arimathea. This man, the Bible tells us, was a good man, a righteous man, and a rich man. Wouldn't you like to be all three of those? Say amen, somebody. Uh, uh, José de Arimatea era un buen hombre, un hombre justo y un hombre rico. ¿Cuántos quieren ser esas tres cosas? Y este hombre era un discípulo secreto. He was a secret disciple of Jesus. Nobody needs to be that, all right? Él no, él era un discípulo secreto. The Bible tells us that when Jesus was put on the cross, he decided that he was going to go public with his discipleship. Él decidió, viendo a Jesús sobre esa cruz, que él iba a poner en público su discipulado. And so he went to Pontius Pilate, and he said to him, Sir, will you give me the body of Jesus? Now generally, a criminal was allowed to hang on the cross and rot, and otherwise they were buried in a criminal's mass tomb. Muchas veces el criminal era sepultado con otros crímenes, o si no, lo dejaban en la cruz para pudrirse. Era un, un horror ser crucificado. El baile dice a Pilato, dame el cuerpo de Cristo. And Pontius Pilate gives him the body of Jesus. Pontius Pilato le da el cuerpo de nuestro Señor Jesucristo. I want you to imagine this man. He goes to the cross. And he takes Jesus off of the cross. He removes his hands from over the nails. And his feet from off of the nails. He perhaps takes a crown of thorns from off of his head. And then he lays him out and most likely he washed the body of our Lord. Sin duda este hombre va ahora con el permiso de Poncio Pilato. Quita las manos de Cristo desde los clavos. Quita los pies de los clavos sobre sus pies. Y luego lava el cuerpo de nuestro Señor Jesucristo. He washes him of the dirt and the sweat and the blood. Lo lava de la sangre y de la tierra y de el sudor de su cuerpo. Y luego lo envuelve en lino. Then he uh, wraps him in linens. And then the Bible says that he carries him to his own tomb. Luego lo carga a su propia sepultura. That tomb, if you go to Israel, we'll, you'll see is not very far from Mount Golgotha. Esa tumba no está muy lejos del Calvario. He carries him over to that tomb, which he as a rich man had made for himself. Esta tumba él había hecho para él mismo. Él había ocupado a alguien que escarbara en una piedra y hiciera ahí una tumba. Y en ese lugar eh, los judíos sepultaban a sus uh, seres queridos, todos juntos. In that way, the Jews would bury their whole family in the same tomb. But Jesus was the first one to enter that tomb. They took the body of Jesus and they laid it in that tomb. I think about this after having performed so many funerals for members of the body of Christ in this church. We've seen the flowers. We've sung the hymns. We have cried together and mourned over the loss of great men and women. But at the body of Jesus, the greatest man who ever lived, only Joseph and Nicodemus came and performed the, the funeral rites for the Savior. They took him in and buried him as was according to the law. The Bible said that his grave was appointed with a wicked man, and yet he had his death with a rich man. Jesus not only was buried according to the criminal code of Israel, 
but he was also buried like the very most royal member of the family of God. Why? Because he was indeed the very most supreme royal member of the family of God. And you realize, friends, that Jesus was buried and laid in that tomb because you and I will someday have to go by way of the tomb. And it shall never be said that Jesus left out one single thing from your needs. You'll never be able to say, well, Jesus met the needs about paying taxes. And Jesus knows how to heal. And Jesus knows how to bring me through the loss of a loved one. But Jesus doesn't know what it means to die. No, friend, before you ever went into the tomb, Jesus has already gone into that dark room. And guess what? He has conquered it with power and with great glory because he is the sovereign God. Number six, the body of Jesus never saw decay. Número seis, el cuerpo de nuestro Señor Jesucristo no conoció corrupción. The body of Jesus never saw decay. It never began to decay in the tomb. It was what was spoken in the Psalms. In Psalm 16 and verse 10. Es lo que había sido escrito en el Salmo 16 y el verso 10. He said, the Messiah speaking, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow my body to see decay. Dijo el salmista, no abandonarás mi cuerpo al Sheol o a la muerte, y no me dejarás en la corrupción. What does that mean? That means that when a saint dies, he has this promise from God. I will not abandon you in the grave. Dios le ha dado esta promesa a los santos. No te abandonaré en la tumba. You and I may have buried some loved ones, but friends, if we bury them in Christ, let's guess what? They might turn to dust, but God will not forget that dust. And on the day of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, that great and glorious resurrection day, the dust of those who have believed in Jesus will come again to life and will be in resurrection glory forevermore. Why? Because God's promise to you and I is I will not abandon you in the grave. Someday they may hear that you and I died, but don't worry about it. We will be in the glorious presence of God, and we will be awaiting the glorious trumpet sound and the resurrection of the body of those who sleep in Jesus. Number seven, the body of Jesus was the veil of access to God. Número siete, el cuerpo de nuestro Señor Jesucristo es el velo de acceso a Dios. No doubt all of you have heard of the veil of the temple. Sin duda, todos ustedes han escuchado del velo en el templo. The veil in the temple was a curtain that hung between the holy place and the holy of holies. El velo en el templo era la cortina que colgaba entre el lugar santo y el lugar santísimo. I want you to notice some things about this veil. First of all, the veil represented separation. It represented separation of a holy God and sinful man. El velo representaba la separación. La separación de un hombre pecador y un Dios santo. But this veil was a curtain. Este velo, esta, este velo, o esta separación, 
era una cortina. Everybody say curtain. You realize that curtains are not permanent. Las cortinas no son permanentes. When Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden, God did not erect a permanent wall of separation, but rather a veil, a curtain. Cuando Adán y Eva cayeron en el huerto del Edén, Dios no edificó un muro permanente, sino una cortina temporánea. The day would come when the curtain would come down, when the veil would be broken. Llegaría el día cuando esta cortina sería quitada. This veil was a veil that was a veil of blue and purple and scarlet. Este velo era un, un velo de diversos colores. And these colors represented Christ. The blue represented the divinity of Christ. The purple represented the royalty of Christ. The scarlet represented the blood of Christ. El azul de la cortina representaba la divinidad de Cristo. Lo morado significaba la realeza de Cristo. El escarlate representaba la, uh, la expiación de la sangre de Cristo. Furthermore, we notice that this curtain came from the top of the tabernacle or temple down to the floor. Esta cortina colgaba desde el techo hacia el piso. It was a veil that touched both heaven and earth. Era una cortina que tocaba tanto el cielo como la tierra. Do you remember when Jacob saw that vision of a ladder rising to heaven? He saw a ladder that touched heaven down to earth. Jacob vio una escalera la cual tocaba desde la tierra hacia el cielo. So this veil touched from the very tops of the heavens to the very bottom of the earth. It meant that one would come who would be able to touch heaven from the earth and would be able to touch the earth from heaven. Porque llegaría un día uno el cual tocaría el cielo desde la tierra y tocaría la tierra desde el cielo. Job said it like this. He said, I wish there were an umpire between me and God. Someone who could lay his hand upon me and someone who could lay his hand upon God. Job lo dijo de esta manera. Yo quisiera que hubiere un mediador entre el hombre y Dios. Alguien que pusiere su mano sobre Dios y pusiere su mano sobre el hombre. Job didn't realize it, but he was prophesying when he said that. Because he was talking about the veil. He was talking about Jesus. Jesus is the man that is able to touch God and man at the same time. And able to reconcile the two together. Es Cristo el cual puede poner su mano sobre la humanidad. Y también poner su mano sobre la divinidad. It is Jesus that reached down from heaven to touch the earth. And it is Jesus that reaches up as a man from earth to touch heaven. Es Cristo el cual ha enderezado su mano desde el cielo para tocar la humanidad. Y de la tierra su humanidad se ha extendido a tocar los cielos. Come on somebody. I'm talking about the perfect representative that you and I have between God and man. When you could not come to where he was, he came to where you were. This veil not only represented the touching of heaven and earth, but it was a type of the body of Jesus. Este velo era un tipo del cuerpo de nuestro Señor Jesucristo. But we read in the book of Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 20, that by a new and living way, we have entered into the presence of God 
through that new and living way which was inaugurated through the veil, which is his flesh. His body became that veil that was torn in the temple. What was in a type in the temple was in truth on the cross. And on the cross, the broken body of Jesus represented the full, complete, unfettered, and unrestricted access of man into the presence of God. So that today, you and I come boldly before the throne of grace. Dice el libro de Hebreos, el capítulo 10 y el verso 20. Que a través del nuevo y vivo camino, inaugurado a través del velo, que es el cuerpo de nuestro Señor Jesucristo, usted y yo tenemos acceso con confianza a la presencia de Dios. Cuando usted ora, usted está alcanzando al cielo mediante el velo rompido del cuerpo de nuestro Señor Jesucristo. When you and I are in prayer, when you and I are seeking God's face, we are reaching in the name of Jesus through the veil which is his body to the very presence of God. This and so much more is what Jesus meant when he said, this is my body which was broken for you. Tonight, I invite you to take the body and blood of Jesus in its spiritual realities by applying them by faith to your heart, by taking of all of Christ, by saying of yourself that you are in Christ and that if you are in Christ, you are dead to sin and dead to the law and alive to righteousness, that because you are in Christ, that you have power over every power and authority of the devil. That because you are in Christ, that you have victory over death and victory over hell and victory over the grave. And because you are in Jesus, you have access to the throne of the living God. When we receive the communion table this afternoon, this evening, I want you to appropriate all that you have heard tonight to yourself. Cuando usted reciba los elementos de la mesa del Señor esta noche, quiero que usted, usted se apropie de todo lo provisto por nuestro Señor Jesucristo en la cruz.